it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Every December, the global surf community converges upon Hawaii for the Pipe Masters competition. It's the premier surf event on the professional world tour and the climactic season finale that often determines who will be the next world champion. Captivated spectators pack the beach to watch the action unfold just yards away from the shoreline. For surf fans, it's the best show on earth. But not this year. When the 50th annual Pipe Masters competition commences this week, it'll be held under strict COVID protocols, with a closed beach and without spectators. To celebrate the start of this legendary surf contest, we bring you a special episode of The Plug recorded on location in Hawaii after the conclusion of the 2019 Pipe Masters. It was a historic event that decided the world title, the Triple Crown, and the U.S. Olympic surf team for Tokyo. It's been a strange year, and we could all use a good laugh and some perspective. Today's guest is perfectly suited for that. He's a pro surfer with an innate gift for storytelling. His candid tales of loss and personal growth that were featured in the recent movie Momentum Generation helped create one of the most insightful and heartfelt surf documentaries of all time. Today, surfer, husband, Filmmaker, restaurateur, raconteur, and dispenser of infectious laughter, the honorary mayor of the North Shore, Mr. Benji Weatherly. <sighs> Benji. That's right. Dude, thanks for sitting down, man. Super appreciate it. Oh, it's an no exciting, exciting time to be over here, man. What a day, yeah. Last night, I, uh, I actually spent, I would say, about nine hours at Pipe. And I drank tons of coffee in the morning 
and I got down there early for Uncle Kelly. And I've never, I mean, I've been there for 28 of his pipe masters. Okay. I think he said 28 or 29 he's done. I've been there for every effing one. And, um, I was I had this weird feeling all day that I was like nervous and I was so way more involved this year than I've ever been and it's it has zero to do with anything relevant like just emotionally I, yeah emotionally I was like this is uh, it's not the end of an era because Kelly's been every era <laughs> I mean that's the truth but it was like I don't want this to end. I got really upset thinking like you might lose in this heat. This might be the last pipe masters. I started going through all the different predicaments. And obviously we're in the Johnson's yard where the half the yard is the John John crew. And it's just this crazy dynamic um, that it really overwhelmed me. So for like nine hours from Kelly in the quarters, not having any ways with f- seven minutes to go and then getting a pretty good one and going, all he needs is this wave in 30 seconds, 20 seconds. And I see the wave because I've been my whole life sat in the same chair and I know waves have pipe better than any wave in the world for me. And I saw it and I was like, holy shit, he's going to get it right here. He's going to get the fucking wave. And it was so uh, north winds that it it was crumbly, but I could see that that wave was going to do it. I'm like, I can't believe he's going to do this. And right when he took off, he stalled a little bit. And when he stalled, everyone on the table was like, what is he doing? And I'm like, no, he's good, you guys. He's going to get it right here. This is crazy. And he got that one. And just that emotional roller coaster gets to the semis and he's going against the world title contender and all that stuff. And then having John there just lost and having his whole family pulling for him. And I want John in the Olympics more than anything. But I want Kelly just because I feel that Kelly isn't just a a representative of the United States. I think he's representing the whole surf culture. I mean, he's he's way bigger. If there's one name name that anybody outside of surf knows, it's... It would be like having the golf tour the olympics there just like they did a few years ago the first time golf's been there but golf was back in the i think they said the early 1900s they did have golf in the olympics so it's not the very first time golf was there but this is the very first time surfing is going to be in the olympics you gotta have the tiger woods the jack nicholas you know all the all the big sporting names it's a michael jordan of surfing so i was just pulling for the whole sport you know and i just think maybe it's better that he's going to be there as a representative of the whole sport you know i don't really think him going out there and winning a a bronze or a silver or maybe even a gold would made even a, a as big an impact if he just shows up. And he just needs to show up. He'll definitely have a presence. He there, has so. to show up. I thought about it when I was talking to John John's parent or mom. I was like, oh, Kelly's going. I'm like, he's still going to go. I go, he has to go. Yeah. You know? And she was like, well, John beat him. And I was like, yeah, but he needs to be there with the United States but to pump John double, up. Double and you have Kelly Slater on your team as a representative. It can only be a positive for everything. And so, I don't know, it'll probably work out better the way it, it all worked out. But the fact that he won triple crown um, at 47 and he never surfs a triple crown. And the fact that he did it this year and won and, and you know, just making the semis and keeping it interesting. And it's, it's just such a cool thing. So I got home last night and the whole beginning of this rant was, I got home last night. I went to bed at like 7.45. I went to bed four hours before I usually would because I was just so exhausted. I was like, I haven't had that you know that excitement in so long because it was just an incredible day for surfing. Like The fact that Brazil is representing such a level of surfing, on, it's taken us to another level from Brazil. It's so sick. It's like, crazy. They're so passionate, man. What's we, the, let me ask you this. Like when you're talking about um, being on 
on the lawn over at Pete Johnson's, like with the Kelly team and the John John team. There was a little bit of competition yesterday, but not a direct, direct matchup. I remember a couple years yeah. ago where they were actually surfing in the lineup <laughs> together. Like, yeah. what, what was that It like? was trippy, man. It, and it gets weirder the more it goes into it because John <clears throat> is – I mean, to be honest, it was all of our. Fr- I was Jack Johnson's good, good friend. So, like that yard represented my childhood, and before that, it was you know, Petey and Trent had it, but it, it kind of came into it when it was me and Jack's generation because Petey and Jack gr- kind of grew up at a house down the street a little bit more. So that yard represents my generation, which is Kelly and Shane and Ross and all of them hanging out at Jack's yard and and then going through the nineties of Kelly winning every one of them or being involved in it. So the Johnsons were so behind it and everything like that. And then all of a sudden, you know, John John becomes John John and he's a teenage kid and he starts hanging out at the Johnsons because Kona, uh, Jack's nephew, is really good friends with him. So just seeing it every year develop, it's it's John John's yard now, you know? And like, it, Kelly knows that. I mean, without me and maybe Keone Watson and Ross Williams and a couple other guys, it's really just about John in that yard now. So it's it's a trippy uh, t- twist of fate or whatever uh, evolution is. And to see it, it, it's cool. I mean, it's so cool because it couldn't happen to a better kid. I mean, John is the most amazing kid and surfer and person and, you know, every family thing you can think of. And so it couldn't go to a better place. But it is a trippy dynamic to see Kelly kind of push to the side a bit and being like you would hear like a couple of little applause on that side because everyone loves Kelly a little bit, you know. Yeah. But then when John is like, ah, and when he when he qualified for the Olympics, just they get there's so many incredible young little surfers and brothers and cousins and everybody's so involved. that It's 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 really neat to see. But it is weird from my state because I was. You know, I seen I saw Kona, which is John John's like best friend. I saw his first luau when he was a baby on that yard. Trent Johnson had his first luau, and now they're dominating the North Shore. And how do you think Kelly? How how does he handle that element of of like a a passing the passing the torch? He won't let it go. Like he he is the most respectful, best representation of any sport that's ever lived. I mean, we got to talk about somebody like Michael Jordan that never really got in trouble with drugs or alcohol or, you know, any bad press or any of that stuff. And he held it together pretty long, but Kelly's never done anything but represent our sport with such grace and such freaking amazing, you know, uh, ability that, that is, is no one's ever been that disciplined in any, any aspect of their life. It's, it's almost like he's a Buddha and I know he goes online and he, he trolls people and he gets involved with chat and stuff. And that's his, that's his almost like his default for being how present he is. Like the people that get upset with him being present on a level where he's like ranting about a, a fin design and this guy's coming at him from here. You can't get mad at that when you realize that that's why he still wants to beat John John. He still wants to go out and kick these kids butts when at 40, I just turned, I just got past 40 a little while ago and you, you just stop caring about trying to compete with these kids. You're like, it's their time, all this stuff. But for Kelly, he still gets upset if this kid makes a heat and he doesn't deserve it or yeah. this guy's surfing, but he's not that good, you know, and he's, he's going back and forth. Like when we were 20, you know, and it's like, you want to kind of get upset. Like, so what are you thinking? Like, let him have it. But why? I mean, that's what makes him so great. Like Jake Burton was always the same thing. It's like, show me something, show me something. He was never, ever going to try to just retire or any of that. And I don't think Kelly should either. Like Kelly is the kind of person that's going to show what's possible and that he has. I love the relationship that you guys have um, because 
obviously you guys love each other very much. You guys are very close, but you're one of the few people that I've ever really seen in his sphere that is willing to like tease him and yeah. kind of call him yeah. on his eccentricities because yeah. he's he's kind of a rare bird. Oh, yeah. um, and I mean, was it always like that? How did you get no, to that point? I think like, I think when I finally became kind of relevant on the level of Kelly and the, our surfing abilities and and like we were doing the same kind of things in life because there were, I was a lot younger than him. So like when I was coming up, I was very intimidated by him. And when we traveled, he would make decisions and say whatever he wanted. And I'd just be kind of quiet. And then I started feeling like I was equal with him. And then I started going and I have the personality that doesn't let anyone get away with anything. And he, he, so does he. So he will tell me like, hey, you look fat. And like he'd give me shit and hey, you're not doing this or why are you riding that board and all these stuff. And I'd be like, oh, big brother, I'm going to kill you. But then I realized, like, hey, I'm not going to sit around and wait for you because I'm your good friend and I'm not going to tolerate you doing certain things around me without me saying something because that's what a true friend is. A true friend is legitimately going to tell you exactly – and you should be able to say right back to them. And that's a real friendship. And, I mean, it it, it gets – there's times where I'll be at the lowest point of my life and there's been a handful of them and he's always there. And one of my good friends the other day said, you know, the first thing that happened when my mom passed away – Kelly called me and no one else called. No one, everyone texted, everyone did this, but Kelly called him straight away and said, I'll be at the funeral. And he goes, you don't have to. And he's like, I'll be there no matter what. And that's Kelly in a nutshell. It's like, he is, you know, a, a dork from Florida at times. And you're like, kind of like, what is this guy? And then there's other times you're like, there's, how could this be Kelly Slater? Because he's, he's the best friend I have. So it, he is around and, and relevant because of his ability, but it's his character that keeps him around the longest. I mean, there's no better character in any sport than that's, Kelly That's quite Slater. an endorsement coming, yeah. coming from he's you. Just, it, he, he seems almost a little paradoxical in the sense that he's, on one level, he's very he's very accessible. I mean, I'm talking about yeah. both from a personal level, yeah. but also just from, from a fan of the sport and people you know in the neighborhood. And I think maybe some of that has to do with the nature of surfing where it's, you're going to be in a public place. You're going to run into people in the sand, but at the same time, like he's, he's very approachable, but at the same time, I feel like it's up to a certain level. And I've seen so many interviews with him. And, you know, if you get him talking about whether it's golf or reading waves or nutrition, whatever his, his, whatever, exactly. Like whatever his, his topics of passion, he's very good. But I think you reach a threshold to some degree to being able to access him emotionally. And I think that, is why the momentum generation resonated so much with so many people is because, um, and to two degree you too, I feel like you, you kind of stole the show with, with your, your candor and and just open heart. And what was it about that production that allowed people to get into Kelly's head that have been people, people been trying to do that for a generation because it was the most honest filmmaker. Uh, I should say filmmakers because it's Zimbalist brothers that they came from a place that was, We've made the Bob Marley documentary. We've made the two Escobars. We've we made these documentaries that it's all about the subject being 100% forefront of the whole the whole documentary. He's not going to ask questions about how many titles he won. And I, when they were making the documentary, they had three different guys come and go, the directors. And they finally got Zimbalist. But the two other guys... We're, the way they were talking about making it, I was like, oh, this is going to be a Kelly Slater smut film. It's going to be Kelly is the best surfer of all time. And look at how amazing he is. And so I was just like, oh, whatever. This is going to be just another surf movie. And then when the Zimbalist brothers started interviewing me, it was like a 10-hour interview. The que- First, I saw the Escobar's movie. 
and I saw the way they shot it and the way they approached each character in the film and how they pulled things out of them that took research. It took, you know, it took uh, the questions had to be appropriate to bring real emotion out of these people. And when they started asking my questions, I knew exactly what I was in for. I went, oh, man, because the first question was something that nobody knew about me. Nobody knew. They really did their they, research. Oh, man. So much so that I couldn't believe it. Like every time they were, they were firing questions right at me with all these angles in my eyes and everything. And I was like, oh, they got me. I was like, they got me. And it made me so happy because I was in a bad place at the time of that interview. And it made me happy to think that I'm going to show people that I don't, I don't have like this ego that's going to make me go oh you know and stand up for all these all these stories in my life that are more sugar-coated and I went I just went for it because I've always been good with interviews of being myself and I was like you know what I'm letting it go I was like was, it, was that conscious that. or was there a some point where it's you just, you, you found your you found your heart coming out I just have nothing your mouth to lose I have nothing to lose like I I always been everything's on my sleeve and I've never felt like Whatever I am as a human being to people is always going to be up to them to decide anyway. And I might as well just be a 100% who I am because my flaws are always right in front. It's like, here I am. Like, I know I'm not perfect. I know I don't want to be, but I'm around a lot of people that almost are. And I can tell you about them, but I'm not that. And I'm okay with that. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm a happy person is because I'm okay with not being the guy that can hold it together every single day, every 24 hours a day, like Kelly. I mean, I, I can't even believe he can do it. Like when we hang out, I hang for six hours as hard as I can and be as front forefront as I can in present. And then I go and I like, whoa. And I have to go like decompress by myself and do things on my own. And he's still there with some guy talking about his airbrush from when he was 18 on the Florida <laughs> board. And, and there's just people coming and going and he just deals with it. And he's like le- levitating, getting a massage and he's on his cell phone and there's just so much. And at the end of the day, he never loses it. He just sits there and just deals with it. And the next day he wakes up and he has another amazing day where Brad Pitt comes in and gets surf lessons. And then after that, he's doing yoga. And then the, the, the freaking Dalai Lama just decided to stop by to do a text for a tweet out on the... It's just like, what? <laughs> Everything he does is just like, how did that just happen? Bradley Cooper and G- freaking Lady Gaga just sang to me for breakfast. You know, everything about his life is not normal, but the fact that it never affected who he, he truly is, is the probably the biggest achievement of his life. Do you think that, and I, I, I know from conversations that we've had, and, um, but you think for Kelly, and, as, and you can speak on this well, like it must have been very cathartic to be that candid and that honest and to just, yeah. it must be nerve wracking and scary, but to, put it, so to put it out in the world and have yeah. people respond yeah, people so positively. Really well. And I think, I think that's been one of the greatest things is, that it showed my mom for one. So it was more authentic because they saw where I came from. I think that helped a lot. It did for me. It really made me feel good to see my mom. And then Todd Chester was my best friend. And when he died, he was my roommate. And and he was everything to me. I lost everything. And I was 21 and I was like, what the hell am I gonna do now? I was like, I used him as my crutch and he was everything to me and now he's gone. So I had to like reel it in and try to find my place in the pack and see if I can still pull it together. And for four years, I was a mess. So I have a lot of confusing things happening at my adolescence that I had to reel it in and then pull it back in. And luckily I had the Kellys and the Shanes and Ross that really took me under their wing when they were dealing with the same thing, but four years older. But the fact that they 
were like, this little punk is not going to fall away on the wayside. We're going to take care of him. Is I mean, that, the reason why I was so honest in that movie is because I have that kind of support. Like, I know that those are going to be my friends no matter what I say, which is, it's great because they know at times they're like, that's just Benji or whatever, but they never judge me for it, you know? That's great. That's, I feel like that, that movie, the Momentum Generation movie, was, was really effective because it kind of threaded the needle. And I, I think in the sense that it only could have been done as it was from a perspective outside of the surf industry. Yeah, and like, that's you where could I was not, trying to say. That's you couldn't have somebody inside making that. But at the same time, like I just watched the HBO piece that they did on Kelly, mm-hmm. and I feel like that went too far the other way. Yeah. That's like, okay, if, okay, these are people who ride surfboards. It's yeah. called surfing. This is yeah. Kelly Slate, you know. And, yeah. and there, there's, a, there's a time and yeah, place for that, but it wasn't insightful. Been. That's why it was so great, is that they, they, they really did take all of our stories and go as hard as they could in the paint because they realize like everyone's already seen these guys doing golfing and surfing and being in airplanes and having a rad life that gets so tiresome even for me to watch and it was my life and I, i'm like pumped my chest for years doing that and then i realized like you know what the, what people we did the drive-through tv shows and what people always came up and still do today and tell me is that was the coolest show on earth because I legitimately thought I was on those trips with you guys. I, I really thought, like, when you're yelling about your surfboard being hurt on the airplane and fucking complaining about traffic and doing that, I felt like I was in the van with you laughing and fucking having a good time. And that that reality TV show is what really set in uh, in motion was, like, there's more to this than just airs and music and stuff. And it was, like, when that, the Zimblest brothers, the most, I think, the best documentary guys that we could have ever got and best out there. Oh, fantastic. They just... They just went, look, Slater's the best surfer in the world, but what made him that? And like, they actually went and did the homework and did the research. They had seven years to do it and they had nine editors and they did it on such a level that it it was undeniable. And that's why I love the movie. It's undeniable. If you don't surf or you don't do any of it. My parents go, love it. And, and yeah, anyone's like, parents I mean, people, come up, you know. People have been coming to my restaurant that are 50 years old, that are from New York City and say, this is my 50th birthday. And I decided I want to come here and meet you and your mom. And I'm like, What? And they're just like, there was the best movie we've ever seen. And all the stuff that they resonate. These are people that if I put in like Taylor Steele's momentum movie, they'd be like, turn it off. What is <laughs> happening? Or like, you know, any surf movie, any yeah. surf movie, they'd be like, I don't get this. But that one is like, it brought people kind of into our circle and was like, wow, these guys have some weird stuff going on. So it's much, not, so it's not humanity and honesty and it's and not it, yeah. my ties. It's, it's real life, man. I mean, that's, I guess that's the irony of how reality TV is just taken over and everybody has this phone and they kind of, purport to document every moment of their life, but it's like, it's almost they like, only an, put it's the like good an, stuff. it's like an avatar. Exactly. Yeah. You only put, you know, you only put you only the put butt the, shot or the cocktails tears. It's, it's never the real stuff. And then, then there's very few people, you know, occasionally people, you know, talk out or putting stuff out there that about real talk, like depression right. or, you know, like the things right. that aren't all positive, but yeah. you know, I, I think that that's why that movie resonated so well. Just, yeah. It was just, just so yeah, it's a, it's been it's been therapeutic for me in so many ways. I've had so many people come up to me and have long talks about like how they went through the same thing and have all this stuff going on in their lives. Same with the drive through. Like they're like, dude, I was so depressed, and then we decided, why don't we get an RV and go down the coast of Australia with our friends? And they would do that trip, and I'd be like, that's a surf movie that I like being a part of. Is yeah. that these kids went and did what they're like? We did our own drive through, and I was like, oh my god, that's so cool. And then you'll hear the guy that'll watch the momentum movie and like quote like some random thing I say on the thing, and he goes, dude, this is my life quote now. And it's like <laughs> something random that I said, and it makes me feel important. Like my guys would come up and be like, you're my favorite surfer when I was little, and I'd be like, 
that's cool. And it never made me feel like someone saying something that I said in that movie that made them feel whole or so. I'm like, dude, stop it. Like that to me, because my whole thing was, is I never wanted to be a pro surfer. I just wanted to be around it. I just wanted to be funny and be around my friends. And then, then I had to perform to keep it going. Like I was like, oh, I got to get a really good part now because if I don't, I don't have sponsors and I can't yeah, be around all these fun people be. and do all this rad shit. You just, so, love, you just love the culture and the, love and the fraternity. Like, it, it makes all. me yeah. uncomfortable when I go to surf contests because everyone's on earphones and everyone's riding psycho bikes and they're all trying to beat each other. And for me, surfing was always a thing. Like I was always out there to have so much fun because everybody else in sports, because my dad was a gnarly NFL football player. And he was a jock. And I never wanted to be that because I wanted it to be something like that. I'd get away from that. Like I always wanted to get away from sports, which I love sports, but I love the fact that surfing wasn't a sport. So when I see everyone taking it so serious, I'm like, God, you guys are missing the, missing the boat. But that's what's great. You can choose whatever you want. But for me, it was always about like Taylor Seals movies in the beginning, we making those skits where we all we did is make funny, like seeing Kelly Slater make fun of himself when he was in the peak of his career, 22, just won the world title. And they're like, you're doing this skit. You're going to look like an asshole. I would, that to me made it, it made it better. It made everything like, look, even this guy will take the piss out of himself to make us all laugh. And that brought us together because when he was being serious and being like, I got to get my own car and I got to do this and I got to sit in front of the surf. Then none of that was positive for the sport, for him. He became very disconnected from his true friends. Now they say it in the movie. Like I remember there was 10 years where he didn't even, when you saw him, he looked so miserable and he was just there to win. And it was just like this weird existence and people, all they want to do is tell him how rad he was, but he wasn't happy. He wasn't happy. The happiest he gets is when we're in Gold Coast and we go to Thai food together and we're making each other laugh. Like those moments he missed because he was just by himself with a girlfriend sitting yeah. in the house. But those are the moments that make you happy when you're when you're 12. Like yeah. all you, you know, you spend your whole life trying to just recreate those moments with you riding bikes <laughs> with your best friends, you know? Yeah, totally. And, like, and it, it you can lose track of that there, like yeah. in the middle part of your life. So and true. I think at the end you finally like back. are old enough to to realize and it. And luckily he got it back and now he's the best friend all of us have. That's what's so cool, right? I mean, I'm down there freaking high fiving him and excited for him at 44 and i'm like dude we got this we're like i never did that when he was younger like i'd be there at the contest but i was like kind of like i was embarrassed to even say like yeah kelly because he was like of course i'm gonna win of course i mean but now he was so pumped when he got the freaking 10 or did really good the other day and got the wave at last second he's looking at me like i did it like we're like kids like he didn't even he wouldn't even act that way when he's a kid that's what's so amazing for me i was younger than him when when he was 12 he was already like a killer he was like i'm gonna win everything so to see him like when I won the golf thing the other day, the golf geeks, to see this guy had footage of Kelly filming it, and he's laughing, dude, laughing the hardest. He's like, ah! and he's like almost falling over. And it was the happiest I've ever been in my life with Kelly. I was like, I made Kelly so happy at that moment to see him red in the face from smiling and saying, "This is the best golf day ever." It's amazing. It made me feel like there's a different thing going on now in our relationship. How did he get to that point, though? What what changes happened in his life? He does a lot. He does so much self uh, inner inner self work. Like he does therapy. Does holistic stuff. He's always reading. He's always researching. He's always trying to better himself, and it's working. I mean, that's why Kelly is always going to be the person I look to for advice because he's not, I went to there. Um, I went to rehab in the big on for a month and it was called uh, in house, whatever. And I, I had to stay in the house, but every day I got to go to the gym and I got to go do certain things every fucking day. He would show up in the morning and tell me 
you are my inspiration. What you're doing is something that I dream of doing. And that was, I did it for drugs and alcohol and I was in a really bad thing with my father and all this stuff. I did it because I was in a bad place and it was mainly because of drugs and alcohol and all this other stuff. But he would tell me like, what I'm doing is so powerful that he he wants to do something better for himself. And he did it every single morning. He was there. at five in the morning. I'd wake up because I I can't sleep, and I would text him, and he would already be awake. And he would drive over to my freaking house where I was in rehab, and he would sit there in the car, and we'd talk. We went finally when I got relief, I could go surf. He'd take me surfing. He stayed the whole thirty days, dude. And it's so trippy to think like this is right in his peak. This is ten years ago. He was right in the middle of winning a world title. He took 30 days off, sat on the big island and waited to hear every day what how I was doing, how I was doing, and then told me that I was his inspiration. And I was just like, come on already. Like that to me has always resonated as like, I'm so lucky. That's right. So if you can count on one hand friends that are that good, like you're no one else. I mean, I all my friends that I drink with, hang out, you know, guys that are like, this is my best friend because we golf and you know, do drugs together and we party. Um but he was the one that was there, you know, the guy that was the, I don't know, the most popular fucking sport athlete in the world. And he's there when he doesn't have time, he shouldn't be there. And he's there. Was it bizarre to be at a point in our life where things that you probably remember pretty vividly and clearly, like the whole pipe house era, like you're at that point now where that's being memorialized mm-hmm. and looked back at as something that was, you know, like, oh, this is something that wants to be, that we should document and talk about. I mean, yeah. does that era seem a distant, distant future, no, or did it go by? In no, a flash? no, no. It uh, that time of my life is the only time that I can remember by the minute, by the day, by the second. Because you know, Todd Chester passing. When they made the movie, I, I made a an action sorts movie. It's called Life as a Movie. Because every good friend of mine that wasn't involved with you know surfing or anything like that, they go do because they would hear what I did. They'd be like, well, "You just did that. Your life is a movie." You know, they're like, "Your life is a movie." From the good and bad, like I have the highs and I have the lows that nobody can even imagine. And I don't mean nobody can imagine. I don't mean that disrespectful. I mean like, I just for some reason in my life, I have a good day. I know a bad day. It's like up and down. I have these. You know, I fly in a private jet to go on this trip, go snowboarding. The next week, my best friend dies and this. I've lost so many people in my life. And I think it's because I'm so blessed because I know so many, I know so many great people. And with great people comes loss. I mean, that's the truth. Like your friend that you've gone to high school with that's never left home, they're probably not going to pass away at an extreme death. But I have all these friends that died surfing, snowboarding, doing all these things because they hang out with Freaking and really, great really great people. So I just think more than anything, I, 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 I just feel so blessed to, you know, to have the highs and I feel really blessed to have the lows because they teach me stuff. So, but at, my life is a movie. There's no way around it. I mean, having the Metallica play at my wedding to, to having a blink, write a song with my name to, to growing up next door to Jack Johnson and him becoming yeah. big, to having Kelly Slater as one of my best friends when I wanted to be a pro surfer. Like, none of it really seems like that something, should be happening, but it all happened. There's something and about you in particular that a lot, let me ask yeah. you this. So I, you know, I've gotten to, to shoot a lot of celebrities in my career and I always, almost always have my camera with me. That's my, that's my device. You know, I'm not necessarily, and I never see it. And I'm not necessarily that the other day I go, my best photographer friend in the world, but I've never seen him with a camera, but you always have it. But I never, you never are obnoxious with it, which is such, it's like, I, there's only a couple of surf, uh, surf photographers in the world that Seth Stafford is one of them, but they legitimately are fly on the wall, which I think is where you get the magic. You get your magic. If you're flying wall, when you're doing this and you're all around it, 
It's not magic. It's not magic. And I, I think yeah. you've always been my favorite fly on the wall photographer that all, just that uh, Italo photo on you posted today. It's so insane, dude. I, Thank I, you. You get these photos. I'm like, what the hell? Like, how did you get that? Because you're not all, ooh, you just get it. And you're like, yeah. later, guys. But that's like, in a sense, that's my, that's my defense mechanism to be in a situation like that where I'm not necessarily maybe deserving or a comfortable being in that situation. Right. Otherwise, I feel like it's funny. People have asked me like, oh, is there, and all the people you've met, all the celebrities, whether it's surf or whatever, is there, is there someone that you are the most starstruck about? And I guess my answer would be rather than one person, a hundred percent, I'm probably like maybe 40% of every, just with yeah. everybody, you know? And it's like, it's so difficult to act normal yeah. around very famous people. Totally. And it's like akin, it's like, it's like, driving, shoot it's like driving next to a cop. Like you're like, <laughs> you know, you're like doing your best to like act normal, but it's just yeah. never, it's never quite right. 100%. That said, I feel like you have this, really terrific ability to be adaptable and charming and, and garrulous in so many different scenarios. Like, what do you think it is about, I mean, like you said, like I you just, have so yeah, many think, amazing people in your sphere and, and, and everyone loves to have you in putting there. his cameras in my face since I was 11. Like it's just always been in my face. And I mean, if you watch the momentum Christmas video, they called it, remember the, it's called the Christmas video. And I think I'm like 12 or 13 in it. And they put the camera in and, I go, and they go, what do you think about all these guys at your house? I go, I hate it. And I, I look like my mom when she's getting filmed because I'm so uncomfortable. I'm like, please don't film my face. Like, ugh. And then after time, I did so many of surf movies and people put it in my face. And then my, I became comfortable with it because it took a long time for me to be really comfortable. And then I have this personality from my mom. And uh, I just seem, I seem to enjoy the fact that I'm so blessed to have somebody even care to take my photo rather than be entitled because there was a tenure where in the middle of my career, I became such a little prick. I remember even being like, I gotta go to a promo. And I remember going, I gotta go sign autographs at a surf shop in Huntington Beach. And I was pissed. And I remember thinking, and I think I was a Kalani and a couple other friends. And I remember thinking, how stupid do we sound? I go, I can't, I can't believe we're, we're both like, arguing about how stupid it is that we have to go do our job and then and it's a pretty amazing it's, job it's the best job in the world and i remember like turning the corner going what am i thinking man and kalani was really entitled at the time as well lost all his sponsors and he turned the switch and now is so grateful for every minute and watching his instagram and watching kalani do it and trust me there was a tenure where he was just as bad as i was we both turned the corner and realized, I remember sitting in the car with him and going, dude, you got to realize how lucky you are to have all these sponsors. And he, he didn't, he didn't hear it. And then it took for all of them to go away for him to go, what the hell happened? Because both of us were good people inside, but you can be tainted from the fame. It's not even fame. Cause being a pro surfer, you're not that famous. Like people get your autograph and they take pictures, but it's all relative. It's, 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 relative. Just, it's people it's, yessing you. Yeah. It's people giving you what yeah, you want. I guess, I guess it's, it's true. We were getting any, your phone would never stop ringing. Remember when I was turned 38, my last contract, I, was, I just signed my last contract and the phone legitimately stopped ringing. Like it stopped ringing, like the mags, the, uh, the t fuel TV, all this stuff just stopped happening. And I remember thinking, ah, oh, fuck, I didn't think this would happen. But you, you don't think it because your ego is so involved with, of course, this is always going to be my life, but it's, it's not even a life. It's a thing. Life is what makes you happy every day. Like the surfing career is like, that was just a tiny blimp. It was all the stuff I got out of that surf career that's become my life. Yeah. The, the trips with Jake Burton, going to hang out with Kurt Hammond on surf trips and doing all these 
These things came from my surf career. So that's my real life. Having kids now and going, that's all my life. The the surf career wasn't a life. It was just this thing. It was it was my job. But more than anything, it got me to where I am now. And whew, I think traveling and getting to experience the cultures that we get to in surfing, I always laughed at snowboarders and skateboarders because they're like, we're going to this place in this little crappy town. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to Tahiti. Like, like, oh, there's this, re- there's this really cool graffitied <laughs> underpass. <Right>. And <laughs> so I was always just like, oh my God, we're so lucky. I get to learn Indonesian. I get to do this, Bahasa, and all these different cultures. And you learn how to cook their food. And I was traveling with an Indonesian best friend and he would make me but, uh, beef rendang and curries. And I'd be like, these other kids wouldn't even know what that means. And so I just think surfing became more than uh, just my little surf career. It became who, who I am for sure. So looking back, you know, getting back to the, the Momentum movie, how you've, you've kind of encapsulated this era and tried to kind of explain it to people so that they could understand why it was so important. Do you have any regrets on how things turned out, either for you personally or for the sport? Like you, did, you, did you see things? Was it, was it on a trajectory where you thought, like, you're going to be this or the sport's going to be this? I then- didn't really set goals, which is pretty rad because I never wanted to be a world champ. I never set it. I never went to my sponsors. I mean, like, I'm going to win the tour. Never had that in my mind. So it was never going to be something that happened because all the things I put my mind to and, and set my goals, I did. I achieved all of them. I was like, I'm going to be in Taylor Seals movie this year. And every year I would have to, you have to work so hard and get lucky and get the music that you needed. And all these things would have to come together. And then for sponsors, you know, I'd be like, I got to get sponsored by them. And I have to make this much money to pay for all these things. And I would work to get that. And and then like the TV show came into play and then getting to do all these different uh, movies and with Bill about making a couple of surf movies. And so all the things that I put my uh, energy into, I achieved. I kind of wish I would have put my energy into maybe one other thing that would have been uh, more lasting, would have been more, um, you know, like after my career with surfing, which I'm trying to do now. Like I'm going to do a podcast as well. I'm going to do more you'd be, creative. You'd, you'd, you'll crush it. Yeah, you'll and I can't wait. That's going to be my next goal. But uh, more than anything, I needed a break for a while. Like this movie came at the end of my career and it's been so fun and everything, but I haven't even been able to enjoy it because I'm running a restaurant I just got married and I have all these things going on in my life. So I'm looking forward to the next step being, you know, trying to come up with something creative in the surf industry that they don't have right now. Cause we lost so much creativity with no, there's no TV anymore. Like I'm, I keep, uh, no print talking media, about, no yeah, I keep talking about field TV, but that was like our only outlet we had. We could do fun TV shows or I, I, I had my movie I put on there and I did all these things. And then that outlet's gone. So we need definitely to have more content. And then it's just like you said, print media being gone. There's no editorial stuff you can work with. There's no, there's nothing. So I just really want to try to get something going with the surf industry that'll bring comedy back because there's not much fun in surf anymore. There's no surf fun. Even the surfer pole. And those guys have been my friends forever. Watching it this year was so depressing. I was just like, because the young kids don't have any incentive to go anymore. Because it's not anything except just like, hey, this guy won this for being rad. And this guy, there's no entertainment. Like you go there and you're like, there's no entertainment. This isn't funny. This isn't cool. This is just a bunch of people getting awards. So they, they need, we need to come up with another event. Like you surfer pole in, in California was so dope. It was legitimately an event. Like you go there, there's a red carpet. You would see celebrities. 
and then the, the event was huge. It looked like Academy Awards. And when you'd get up on stage, you were actually nervous and like, holy cow, surfing is big. So we just need another event. And I really want to get more involved with that. Who knows where it's going, though? Like, we don't even really have an industry anymore, which is trippy. Such a name. Like, and with, with Hurley being sold, I'm just like, I could not that was the last be of Mohicans anybody too. other than John John on the Hurley team. I right totally now. agree. It's a scary time, but that's maybe the best time to be creative. Maybe we could come up, like you said, WSL and all these things. Like, they need content and they need something that's authentic. They need something authentic, like even watching the WSL breaks and stuff. And a lot of it's just information. It's not really authentic. It's not anything that really knocks me out of off my chair or anything. Yeah, that's why it was really kind of special for me to come over and, and premiere my book this year. It just really seems like it's it's kind of like a benchmark of an era. And I mean, at the time I've been coming, it's, it's a relatively short amount of time. Obviously, you can speak to this much larger, but just in the changes that I've seen, whether it's like like social media and then like, you know, the Brazilians and just like, there's just not, even last year was like the Metallica party at Billabong was probably the coolest thing. That's probably the pinnacle of <laughs> North shore party that, that is was, ever going to happen. Yeah. And you, you, you contrast that with this year, like Billabong, they didn't even have both houses. Hill, uh, Hurley had the house next door, zero parties. Like there's, there wasn't much. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think that was just, I don't think that was strictly, budgets or bad timing i think it's just the, just the, nothing the culture is just i 100 agree with that and that billabong party just because it was parko's party was why it was anything it was just a billabong party probably would have been strangers but since parko everyone loves him and that's why everybody like you know like parko started like a culture with billabong like he had the guys like even connor coffin all them showing up all those people were there for Parco, yeah. and then obviously the band and all and that in stuff. In the pit too, like yeah, Steph like Gilmore, Andy, Taylor like, Steele, yes. like Connor Coffin, like yeah. in the pit, just it's like, like but when like Andy laughing won, like crazy. When Andy used to win, and he, they were always having the parties at the Bruce Volcom house, which was my old house. They, it, like it went from the momentum generation where it was a little bit cleaner, you know, obviously, you know, it wasn't as much drugs and alcohol and stuff. It was just, but it was more of like a celebration of the surf industry at the time. I mean, cause all the, everyone was thriving. Our generation was about like quick surf, billabong, all these companies thriving and people in Arizona wearing Kelly Slater shirts and shit to the Andy generation, which was a pretty amazing time for parties and, and camaraderie. I mean, there were Australians like Taj and everybody at that party raging for Andy winning the world title. And it was a rad time. I mean, they had killer bands playing and, and even you like can the culture you can, was strong. Yeah. The it was like was a Hawaiian strong, culture was strong. was strong. Like they had like the claws and kyborgs and I mean, they were holding it down. It was amazing. And then like Parco's was the last like kind of party like that. Cause everyone loves Parco's so much and Metallica's so amazing. That it's like, where else do we go from there? Because now all these young kids are so detached. Everyone's got their own program. It's Everyone's all in their different. own house, on their yeah. computer. Owen's the- with his family. Julian's with his family. Philippe's with his... I mean, it's a whole different world now. Like, it's really just about the individual. And that that that's where our I culture... Like even the, the crowd yesterday at the finals, like, I mean, there was a lot. It was the finals, but like... Not even as deep as uh-uh. when Gabe won his title how, uh-uh. four years ago or whatever. I mean, yeah. it was like people just, I guess maybe that's testament to the broadcast improving or I don't know what it was. I just but. think it's now about achieve, achieving goals for single individuals that it doesn't really trans, it doesn't really trans uh, fire into, into, um, into a culture. It's more of an individual achievement. Like there's no, there's no, there's no culture left. It's like if we're if we're bringing 
you know, all these rad pro surfers to the forefront and they're all there with their families and friends and they're doing their own thing. It was cool that Italo has his shirt and his family and friends. That was the only little vibe they had is because he was going to win an event. But why aren't all those people there for Jamie O'Brien like it used to be? Like Jamie used to have a big crew and, you know, the crews would be pretty solid. Um, I don't know. It's, a, it's definitely a thing that I didn't see coming. The surf industry I thought was going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Now it seems totally different. Like Patagonia seems big now. Do you think the Olympics are going to have a positive impact? Do you have any high hopes? It didn't help snowboarding. It really didn't. Like I'm really good friends with the Burtons and stuff. And they they would always tell me that it's not like it helps sales because it's it's a – I don't know. It's like such a mainstream thing. Like they would probably buy Burton because they saw it in the Olympics and at like a phone cover or something. But it's not like that kid's going into the store because he grew up loving Burton anymore. It's like they just buy it because they see it on TV and stuff. It doesn't seem like it translates to a full, like almost like a cult, like Volcom and all those things. We're like a cult following. You would wear Volcom and think you're the only guy wearing it with 40 other guys were in there wearing it. But you felt like I'm Volcom guy, you know. Nowadays, there's no vibe and all these brands, it seems like. I mean, mean, how do you feel when you go down there? You go to to your old house at Pipeline. It just, it feels... It's very corporate and yeah. safe. I mean, There's the like waves are still catering. what they are. And There's had- these little kids from out of town that are getting catered food made for them. And you're like, this isn't what it takes to be, you know, a, a gnarly pipe surfer. <laughs> you want these kids to, like, learn how to take. Like, we used to have to serve with Dan K. Aloha and Johnny Boy Gomes and the scariest people in the world. It was scarier to surf with those guys than the wave. You would have the heaviest wave in the world and the heaviest locals in the world, and you had to go out there and you were getting catered food, and you certainly weren't getting your rent paid. You were out there just hoping that when you camped on the beach and you ran down the beach to try to get on Billabong Surf Team, you had to fight with Johnny Boy Gomes for the best way of back door. Now these kids wake up and they're getting massages. They got it's they're on their electric bikes down to pipe and they go paddle out and then they go have a catered food. And it's like, but I mean, is that the paradox of 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 the WSL trying to make surfing into a quote unquote real I don't sport? Know. I mean, because I you can't think, have, you have to have know. that level of athleticism, you know, like there didn't used to be coaches and trainers and managers, but I mean, yeah. if you want to play with, if you want to try and compete with the NFL, like it's just gotta, better perks now, I guess. Like it's a smaller crew. Cause it doesn't seem like there's as many pros now. Like they have gone from say there are 200 relevant pros uh, on the winter of when I was a pro. Now it seems like about 80 really good ones and probably like 30, like Evan Geiselman's and guys that are there. What's the other kid's name? Oliver Kurtz. And I saw them down there and they're getting photos. But it used to be a lot of, of free surfers. Like you would have Archie at Off the Wall and Christian Fletcher at Rocky Point and all these guys trying to get photos. And then you had the pros that were trying to win the Pipe Masters. It was just this big, giant thing. Now when I go down there, I just see little 12-year-old kids that look like they're maybe from the NSSA. And then you see over here, you don't see as many pros. So there's not as much money in it, it seems like. And then the ones that do make it, like the Griffin, Calipinto, and all the really good Groms, they're staying at the Billabong house. They got six setups. They got a rent-a-car that's paid for. They got it all. And I, I think they deserve it. I mean, let's be honest. I would have loved to have those perks. But it's just a different world now. And I, I don't think it's bad. I just think it's it's just evolution. It's changed. It, it seems like, changed. like, I guess it's maybe just a metaphor for economics as a whole. I mean, like, mm-hmm. the middle class of surfing is, is gone away. It's gone I mean, away. It's true. There's, that's there's exactly definitely what money saying. to be made. But that's what exactly what I'm saying. Is guys, no, it used to have guys. a huge middle class. And I was a part of that middle class. You get, like, 80 grand a year. All you did is have to go get a huge barrel at back door with a sick water photographer and then maybe show up on another couple of clips of the winner. And that made sense for the companies. Nowadays, that guy's re- irrelevant. It's like we have our guys in the pipe masters and we have one good free surfer. And that's good enough for us. And that makes sense because they had to cut budgets. But it's just a different world. That's it's why, just I hard mean, to it, see because there's why, no print. That bugs me. I mean, that's why, you know, it, 
was really special to come over here, premiere this book this year in, in, in the state of where the culture is now. Just because, yeah. like, I don't know how many more years I'm going to be able to come over yeah. or necessarily if there's just the moments in the culture that I was so inspired to document in yeah. the first place. True. You know? You um, got and it. at the same time, like, you know, there's no print media. Like, I don't know if I could think of anything less future forward than still photographs other than a printed book full of still right. photographs. <laughs> yeah. But, but at, at the same time, like on. people, people have been really, I, res- really I like responsive. having those kind of books around because they're, they're, they're a piece of art. For you know, sure. And, and I, you know, I said at the, at the talk story the other night, you know, there was a, a small handful of ambassadors who were always extremely useful and, and helpful and gracious of like, getting doors to open for me. And I know from the beginning, you were somebody that really understood what I was trying to accomplish. Oh, and like, I'm so over, grateful that over, I got to, to, to Kelly's house for the first time. And, you oh. know, like we're talking, of course you walk in, oh, of course, Eddie, of course there's a rock star there. Yeah, you know, right. like I feel like if Obama would have walked out and had me a primo, I'd been like, yeah, of course we're at Kelly's, you know? Yeah. If you just followed Kelly around for six months, you'd have photos of every single gnarly person in the world. Um, but that, it also felt really special the other night. Um, just having like, Brian Bielman and Tom Survey like doing talk story and it just so rootsy at the at the sugar mill and such a unique cool. environment. So many rad kids showed up too. All the all the kids were there. And I I love how uh, when <laughs> Tom was was showing his picture of uh, Curran and the cutback and he like was underselling the description like Benji had to stand. Whoa, oh, time out, time out. I I can't believe that you because you talk about the moment of my whole childhood. I was yeah. nineteen. I remember like it was an hour ago. And I was sitting next to Taylor Steele and he made this drop and he didn't even tell about the whole wave or the wave before. He got a crazy one at back door, came out of that, caught the very next wave. Like that's what made Tom Curran so crazy is that he literally out off the wall. I mean, back door, got crazy barrel. I'm like, oh, Tom, Tom. And it was on that board that was legendary. Maurice Cole, 7'6". He said he might even been bigger. But he gets the barrel back door, kicks out. And I just came in from serving. I'm sitting there still doing wet. He kicks out of that wave, paddles and catches the next wave. Air drops under the lip, and it's such a, it's one of the opening segments of Focus. I'm pretty sure it's Taylor Steele's Focus movie. Air drops under the lip, gets crazy barrel, comes out, and does the best carve of – there's never been a better carve, let's be completely honest. And Tom Survey had all that, and he said, like, yeah, this is a picture of the 90s of some guy from Santa Barbara. I'm like, don't you dare. Don't you <laughs> like, dare, you're, Tom. You're, like, personally offended by I was his, like, How dare his you? description of his this own is, picture. You yeah. shot this photo. You should be very, very proud of the fact that it's my favorite photo, everybody's favorite photo, and we want to know more about it. But he's so humble, and he's such a cuddle bug. And same with Bielman. He's just like, he, they're both such humble people. They're like, yeah, this is a wave of pipe. And they didn't want to, like, go into how how hard it was to get that photo or what day it was or yeah i mean bielman definitely like uh really relished in the attention definitely i was probably somewhere in the middle tom not so much but i mean i was planning on just quiet i was playing well i also lost my voice i lost my voice that night i've never lost my voice in my life but um i had always just expected to press play and then just kind of have them roll and then paisel's like no gotta do talk store and kind of like towed me into that one so that's um, great so I, I pulled up some pictures from over the years nice. from here on the North Shore. And uh, like for me personally, just like I have so many memories over here. And like these pictures really helped me kind of solidify them in my mind. So here, just scroll through it. Team. Tell me if you can remember what was happening during any of these photos. <laughs> I can't tell you, but I love this photo. It's <laughs> so great. Do you remember that was at the analog house the up on the hill? analog house, Exactly. I think it was Chippa in the back. The Chippa, Mike Marciano. Yeah, that's who it is. And then uh, Lugo. That's so great. I don't know. Are we drinking Ben? No, we're at Budweiser. That's even weirder. 
That's great. That's photo. I, dude, I, the photo that w- was really cool is the photo you got of me at the analog house with a beer laughing. Kelly put on his fridge for like three winners. Do you remember that? I do. I have right here. Yeah. That Sorry one's that killer, one. Ross and I. I love that one. Another another situation. You that were the first. One, that was over. Is at, that Chester's thing, right? Uh, uh, Thanksgiving. No, no, no. no. Is in front. Of, it was just a, just a random day. Like another example of you just being like, you know what? <laughs> Jump in my car. We're gonna go do something cool. And you took me over thing. and introduced me to Ross for the first time. It was actually in front of his house okay. with his kids. He was like pushing him into the way. Yeah, that's a pop by law. It's Pop by Law. That's what I thought it was. So this is down where we do Chester's memorial every year. That's what I thought it was. Yeah. Um, that's cool. I don't even know these. That's Rocky Point for sure. I do remember that year. That was the same year we're laughing at some photo. <laughs> that's cool. These are cool. I don't even. I can't believe you got these photos. I don't even remember. Yeah, they are probably. I got. I got a deep bench. You <laughs> do. <laughs> that's the that's one. the one. So Kelly had that on his fridge. Like, Where'd you get that? He's like Justin J. And that's why it made me happy because the year before that was the year you got the Eddie photo. And yeah. I remember him going. You were like nervous and all that stuff about. Get, getting over there and stuff and then when I saw that photo I was like damn I'm so glad you came with me and then it, by him having this photo on his fridge made me feel like he accepted you as like an amazing photographer for one but the fact that he you know was like hey he's cool to come over here yeah just I mean, even even it. last year um I don't do the whole situation do you did you see that photo or there's a story in the book where I went over there and there was some woman who I'd never met before, and she had this like gray brick. It was like, kind of plastic, and, and she's like, hey, will you help me hold this for a second? And she got a screwdriver, and I'm like holding it. She opens it up, and these like gray wisps of like of like dust are flying everywhere. I'm like, what the hell is happening? It was like Michael Peterson's ashes what? that she had. I don't know. She was like a friend of the family. I don't think it was her his widow. But anyway, she, she had Michael Peterson's ashes. She took him out of this plastic urn disposable oh, urn and put him into this little satchel and kelly paddled out at the park beach park oh and that's like, so nice and i just happened to be there for the whole thing that's and so it was cool. just like a really like spectacular she wanted him moment. to go put some of yeah out there that's yeah really so i got cool. an amazing picture of that i put it in the book um but i sent that to her and i sent that to him afterwards and you know he dm me back he's like thank you so much come by anytime i feel oh. like that was the first time i was really like i felt like i had authority to just kind that's of like so drop by yeah, yeah and really when you cool. get on kelly's team if you will it feels really good because you know he has so many people pulling out of an every direction that's why he always trusts me to bring whoever i want into his life which is always really cool because you know everybody that gets a time from kelly feels really important and i get too much time with him so it's like <laughs> nice to share it you know no it's yeah. really i mean i guess i wish i had a better way a better word to describe i always make it i feel like the north shore is almost like mafia oriented in that it's an extremely closed circle until somebody like you, yeah. until somebody goes, no, he's one of us. He's a good no, fellow. And he vouches for that's you. That's what we're and missing then, nowadays. Cause it used to be like where if you got in, it was, it was an amazing feeling and it was a big accomplishment. It kind of like our going back to what we were talking about earlier. It's like, it almost feels like anyone can walk into the Hurley house right now. Anyone could just walk in there and be like, Hey, let me grab a piece of sandwich and a drink. And, ah! yeah. and it's cool. But the coolest part about our little world in this surf culture especially the north shore keep the country country was it was like you had to earn it there was an exclusivity to it you had to earn it and it was kind of like as a howley white however you want to put it you know the definition of howley is kind of tricky but being a white guy over here it was it was really scary and it was very intimidating and all the things that go along with it but when you did break through you felt 
really special. You felt you got here. I like. I remember Laird Hamilton. I got this crazy weight off the wall, and he was mad that I got it because I was like 16, 17, and he knew me, and he he was so nice to me all the time and all stuff. But he was angry because I got the kind of the wave of the day, and I remember pounding back out, and he was like angry, angry, and he goes, at least if. I'm not going to get it. I'm glad you got it. And I remember <laughs> that's like, the closest chills, thing to a like, compliment. Chills yeah. going through my body because at the time Laird was the guy. And I remember going, Oh my God. He said, at least it was me that got it. Like he, he actually cared that it was, I got it. And I remember a bunch of different things happening, especially with Johnny boy and all these things and getting and hearing what they would say about me and giving me a little respect and like the littlest bit, but feeling like they had enough respect for me to actually consider that I was part of the whole scene always made me feel special. And nowadays, like, you can literally come here from Haiti and paddle out the pipeline and maybe get the wave of the day. That would never happen in my lifetime when I was a kid. Yeah, I mean, what made it so unique is that, <laughs> I mean, I, what, I, I live in New York. There's exclusivity all over the place, but a lot of it's based on really lame, lame shit, shit, like money or just yeah. douchebag. Who you know or, to get who into you that know or whatever. Like, at the end of the day, all of that exclusivity, for lack of a better word, here was based on, like, a meritocracy, oh, like very true, and yeah. that's why, yeah. I mean, that, that's what made it legit. It, you know, legitimacy of being out and getting the wave of the guy from California, the wave of the winner. It didn't just get handed to him. It wasn't like that. So when you would hear it, you'd be like, "Whoa, how did that happen?" And you break down how it all got there. And it was six months getting smoked. He broke his arm. He got that fixed. He went back out there, got beat up because he dropped in the wrong guy. Boom, got it back out there. Did it again. Did it again. Did it again. Got the wave of the winner. It was like, holy shit. I mean, I remember my best way of my life is that back door and drifting. It's Robin Chato's movie. It's this second reef giant back door barrel. Biggest barrel of my life. And uh, the three ways before that, I almost got killed. I got so killed. I got smoked all the way to the beach. I'm a little 19-year-old kid. And Machado was watching from the, the deck. And I paddled back out. Smoked again. I think I hit my whole side of my body. was all cut up. Went back out. Smoked again, and it's we have footage of it all. And I just smoke, 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 wave of my life. And it was because I didn't give up, I didn't stop, and I just kept going. And nowadays, I go, How did I do that? Like that, that, that resilience is you what think it that, takes. That, that yearn to please, it that was, learn to no be way accepted, all of those, it. all of everything. Those. It was, I was 19 and I wanted to prove myself. I was really good at pipeline because I lived there. Everyone was watching, and no one knew how to serve pipeline. Like, kind of like, I, I don't, I don't want to sound cocky, but I knew the conditions better than anyone. It was a north, northwest, and it was second reef. So you could get them early. And there was this crazy sandbar at back door. And I knew there was going to be just the waves of the year, waves of the lifetime. And I knew it. And I had Jake Patterson actually dropped in on me. And I'm screaming, hey! and he kicks out right when the video starts of me going in the barrel. And me and Jake still talk about it. He's like, fuck, I almost had it. But he he didn't live there and he didn't put the time in. And I got behind him and I got the wave. And that's what it takes when you, you put your time in. You know the way better than everybody. The conditions are what you need to really excel. Because I wasn't very good on six to eight foot pipe because I, I wasn't that amazing at airdrop backside barrels. I just like roll-ins on these rights that no one wanted a part of because they were so gnarly in the inside that everyone else was like, fuck that. And Dorian and Chesser would want those waves. So I grew up in this tiny little circle of people that were crazy enough to go on these second reef rights. And it all came together for me because I put the time in it and I didn't give up. There was so many times that day I should have just went in and just sat there and went, fuck, I'm going to die if I go do this again. But you think it was like the, those, some it's of those, those, those gnarly elders who weren't going to give you respect yeah. just yeah. off the bat? You think that totally. helped with the yeah, determina- determination? Oh, yeah, yeah. Or- the reason why that all happened is because on the smaller days, 
I wasn't getting anyways because I'm a skinny white kid. Even though I live there and even though I put my time in, Sonny, Johnny, <laughs> the list would go for days if I could tell you the whole list. Those guys always got them. So you were like, and you weren't mad about it. You're just like, oh, Sonny. You would hear, oh, and you're like, of course I'm not going. <laughs> Get out of his way. And on those days, I knew I had a chance because those guys weren't hassling for those giant 12-foot double-ups. And I knew to make myself relevant on those six- to eight-foot days, I had to charge a 12-, 15-foot backdoor wave. And I had to do it a lot. I had to put my time in. So on the six-foot day, when I waited and they saw that I was waiting, they're like, fuck, it's, you know, he's been putting his time in. Give it, just give it to him. And it started happening where Sonny and guys like that were like, go, 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 go. When you start hearing the gnarliest guys in the lineup going, go, 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 Benji, go, you're like, Oh, my life is okay now. Like everything was so amazing. So like that feeling for kids now, they just got to go out there and just go. Well, what factors changed that 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 culture? All the gnarly local guys are gone now. Like we don't have any. And then, but there isn't like there's the new crop's not really about that. No, the new crop. We're just we lost all the hard hitting, you know, guys. Like we don't have the. There's no more Kalas, Kyborg, Sunnies. There's no more Sunnies, Danke Lojas, Johnny Boy Gomes. There's none of that anymore. Even the young, the young pro servers from Hawaii are like Seth Moniz and like the sweetest not, little yeah, guys yeah. ever. Like, like people defer, but out of respect, yeah. not out of fear. Yeah, yeah. And like now it's about just respect and not fear. Like there used to be where I was more scared about the guys than the waves at Pipe when I was in the 80s and 90s. You would paddle out and be like, Fuck, please don't punch me in the face, you know? You're, and you're a little skinny kid, you know? This, we're talking about guys that are scary for... Mike Tyson would probably be intimidated by. Yeah, it was funny. I had um, dinner the other night at, at the at the coffins, and and uh, Rich was talking about. It's like, oh yeah, I saw McNamara today, just lighting somebody up on the beat. I'm not talking about lighting them up, and I'm like, whoa, seriously? I'm like, well, is, is he just okay? He's, he's like, just yeah, he's like, oh no, no, just yelling, just yelling. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> it's like, well, Liam was doing that in the '80s and '90s too. <laughs> Same thing. But I, t- I was on my heels for a second. I'm like, really? Yeah, wow, like, I missed that. Marvin I Foster, when we were kids, was. He was the, so scary that you could have put him in a movie and he was scarier than the villains. Like he was, he would have cigarettes rolled in his shirt. He drove a tow truck and would just sit there and look at you and you'd be like, I'm going to die right now. Like he's, he's looking at me. I'm going to die. He's looking at me. You know, like he was that terrifying. And he really, he did what the bad guy did. Like, you know, he was not going to just walk by if he had a problem. He was just so amazing. He was the, one of the best servers and one of the scariest guys ever. And just, those people don't come around anymore. I mean, I guess it's good for the kids to have not have that in their life, but I, it made me feel important to be in part of that culture. Like, at uh, what point did did Kelly go from your experiences to being like Kelly Slater and having like a particular status out there? Uh, well, the first year he ever hung out with all of us was that black and white movie, Kelly Slater, Black and White, and he just caught like little six foot laughs and got a couple barrels and got a couple backdoor barrels, and it was cute to say the least. It was like. You know, at that time, me, Jack, um, Storian, and Ross, we're all surfing pipe. And we had a few years under our belt comparable. So I remember thinking, well, he's, you know, he's supposedly the best surfer coming out. And he already won a few contests. But he was still wet behind the ears. And I remember thinking, I don't know. I remember thinking, yeah, it's good, but I don't know. And then the next year, he got that crazy wave where it doubles up. It's in the momentum movie. And it just unloads. And he comes out. And he throws his arms up. That was a surfboard that Al shaped the night before. I have a shaping room and I was involved in the whole thing. He made it in one night, which back then it was so rare to get a board made in one day. And Al made that board. He got that wave, got fifth at pipe. 
And we're like, damn, dude, Kelly, that was, you know, like that was from here to here in one year. And then I promise you every other year it became the Kelly show. It was just, it took him three seasons and then it was the Kelly show. And just like anything he does, he just every year would get a better lineup, better this, more cons- better board, this, not. And it, it became where 28 pipe masters later, he's won seven and he's made something like he had 22nd place or wow. something. And so I don't know. Now he's got another third. <laughs> and so what's your, what's your connection with, with like surfing in California? Like, do you, have you spent time? I know you have, I like, lived you, in Cali for I so long. In Santa I actually now. left after Chester died when I was like 23 or 24, I moved to Cali because of a girl and because I felt that this is pretty revealing, but I felt like I was more suited for sponsorship in California, which is totally wrong. Because if I just stayed at Pipe, I would have been like Jamie O'Brien. I would have been way better off. People would have, you know, I would have been better. I mean, I could have been like the local pipe. I could have been the pipe specialist and done the whole thing because I was really good at Pipe back then. But I decided in my and a, and a couple of reasons why. Two, I just lost my best friend in big waves. Uh, and I was getting to a point where I get anxiety when I'd surf big waves. And I was like starting to think, well, if my hero and the guy that I legitimately looked up to and he was the strongest, most fit guy in the world drowned, what's it going to do to me? You know, I had all this doubt starting to build. And Billabong was my sponsor. And they were like, if you come to California, you can be the California kid. And we have way more things for you to do here. And then I thought like Taylor Steele's movies were based out of California at the time. And I was like, I, know, I can film with Taylor and all this stuff. And so I moved to Taylor Steele's hometown. <laughs> I bought a house there and everything. And, uh, and I left Hawaii. And I felt like traveling and getting out of Hawaii was the thing to do. And it's, it was. I actually believe that all the things, decisions I made is the reason why I was sponsored for... I got sponsored at 14 and retired at 38. So... Whatever that is, like twenty something, five, four years, something like that um, of being sponsored to surf is pretty incredible. I mean, I had a lot of friends that were a lot, almost better and more talented than me that only lasted ten years or five years. I had longevity because I adapted to all the different changes. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's funny. Look at today, talent is not nearly enough. Like everyone, uh-huh. everyone's talented. You gotta have my my thing was I was a corporation. Like oh, I sponsors, I was my own manager. I always negotiated my own contracts. I did everything on my own and I based it on what I was going to do the next year. So I would, I would create my year and look at everybody else. That'd be like, I'm 32nd in the WQS. And that was their value to this company. And I'd be like, but they didn't get one photo in the magazine and nobody even cared. What does that mean? So I'd go behind them and negotiate my contract and be like, I'm not 38th in the world, but you know what I am? I'm going to be on this TV show. I'm going to be in Taylor Steele's movie. We have 15 premieres going to worldwide. We're doing this. I'm, I'm going to add these I'm gonna three add, magazines. I'm going to add this to the I'm brand. I'm going to sell yeah. your brand. And they would be like, so I had this guy tell me when I negotiated one of my last contracts, go, dude, you're like a corporation. Because I actually got it to at the end where I had five outlets to promote their their companies. And they were all legit signed contracts with these things. And they're like, dude, you already have your year planned. And I'm like, and for a little surfer kid coming behind me and negotiating, he looked like an asshole. Because I'm like, I had it wired. Yeah. I was like, look, you guys, I'm going to put your stuff out there. And I knew how to sell it. And so I, be, I became the corporation in my selling myself, which is not easy. And it's very hard to sell yourself. Like, that's the one thing I, I don't, I have big ego, like everybody else probably. But it's so hard to sell yourself when they're, they're like, you don't really think you're worth that. And you're like, I am, yeah. you know, and you're like, fuck. <laughs> so like selling your own personal value to somebody that knows who you are is very difficult. And it's something I got really good at and lasted forever. I could have even got sponsored again, but I felt guilty. I felt like, 
Like Kelly doesn't feel guilty, but I feel guilty that I was like okay. taking money from these kids for these sponsors, which it isn't really like that. It's value. It's value. Like at the end of the day, I was just going through my own shit and I felt like, you know, everyone's looking at me as this old guy and he's not ripping his heart and he's taking money and this and that. So I just kind of went like, I've had the best run ever, but just like Bob Hurley the other day telling me, he goes, I had nothing, no complaints, dude. 40 years I've been running shit. And for me, 28 years of a pro career, <laughs> I was like, no regrets, nothing. And now it's about just like supporting the other kids. That's what's been my. But what gets you inspired like free surfing these days? Like what, what do you still have? I think that's the hardest thing about surfing nowadays is I want to keep progressing and you can't. And that's why Kelly's an anomaly. It's like for you to keep doing nose pick, full rotation rodeos and just all the tricks that he's learned in his full 40s, let's be honest, 40s, he's becoming one of the best aerialists in the world. It's such a, a feat that nobody really gives him credit for because I can tell you firsthand, I was my last Taylor Steel part was 37, 36, I think 36 on that. And I have a few errors in it and a few progressive stuff. And I remember thinking, like, I'm trying. I'm trying my hardest, which I've always done, but I would I would achieve that. And I was trying my hardest and not pulling off the stuff I was trying and just getting frustrated and being like, I think it's over. Like, I, I can't keep going because my body won't allow me to do a huge thing into the flats air land full on and spin out of it because I'm going to blow my knee out or I'm going to do this. So it became, uh, cause I'm a big guy too, for one, but to see Kelly be able to keep progressing, it's just a mind boggling experience because it's not, it's the hardest sport to do as an older person surfing. So when I surf now, I like, I like style. I've always loved style and I like cars. So I can always go back to that, but it's hard not to do airs now. Cause when I'm going to get speed, I'm like, I'm going to do a huge yeah. air. And my, my body's like, don't do it. Don't I mean, is it. that the curse of being yeah. like, so yeah. Cause I can't such go, a ripper at such soft. a young age. I mean, are you going to yeah. be able, are you going to be able to age gracefully and ride mid length and just have fun? I don't know. Or are you going to throw, are you going to throw, gonna throw in the towel like, and just focus on golf? I, I don't I mean, know. Dude, that's such a good question. Because this has been the year. I got all my new Channel Island boards. Shout out to Challenge. They just gave me all these new boards. And I made them a little thicker this year. But it's like, I, I don't want to ride fun boards, you know, or fishes and stuff. I just can't do it yet. And I don't think I ever want to. I think it's just because I always, I always want to do what I've always done. And that's going to be the hardest thing I've ever dealt with is not being able to do what I want to do, I think. It's tough. It's so frustrating to watch it. Like watching those kids yesterday, I'm like, I can do all this because it's pipe. But then when they come out of the barrel, it'd be like a 10 foot fucking air. I'm just like, damn it, I can't do that anymore. But yeah, surfing's great. That's what makes it great. It's, you know, <coughs> the fact that Slater has shown that you can at 47 compete with 22 year old kids is, is mind boggling because the, we have the hardest sport. It's nothing harder than surfing. It's nothing. So what's gonna what's gonna take that place in your heart moving forward? Like what? I think it's gonna be family, podcasts, golf, and relationships. I think that's it. And traveling because now when I travel, I'm doing a lot of writing too. Um, I think my next step is gonna be traveling, writing about my travels because I, I know how to express it. I'm just I don't I don't do it. I don't do it enough. I need writing. To write. I, I think I like write. writing and filmmaking are one of small handful of art forms where. You can survive until you're like, you can actually even progress. Yeah. I mean, you look at Kubrick. No, sure. or, I just you know, started writing. Like I've, music, young man's game. Yeah. Surfing, you know, definitely a young man's game. Um, but no, that's, 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 that's terrific. It, yeah. So I guess 
moving forward, what what's in store for the next year? You're excited about family? I think you'd be a terrific dad. Yeah, I, I can't wait to start a family. I can't. I really want to start my podcast because I need to do therapeutic stuff. Like just talking for me has always been therapeutic. Um, I want to I want to progress like Kelly does, um, doing different things. Like me and my wife are really into yoga, different things to prolong my activities because I'm going snowboarding in Montana tomorrow. And I still want to do all these crazy stuff with board sports. And you got it. The only way you do that is if you stay in crazy shape. Yeah. So just taking care of myself and getting healthy this year is my yeah, that, goal. That sounds like an amazing trip. So, I mean, I guess it's almost impossible to overstate the impact that Jake had on the sport of snowboarding and the culture. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on like why he was so special to you. What was your relationship like? Well, he searched me out um, when I was 22 or 23. I was in Brazil. Uh, I was right when emails came out, as old as I sound. Um, but it was. It was right when emails started coming out. And I was in Brazil for a surf contest. I rode for Reebok at the time. And at that time, I was kind of the cool kid in town. And I get this email from John Carpenter, which is John, uh, Jake's real name is John Carpenter. And um, it says, hey, I got this shoe company I'm going to try. It ends up being called Gravis. And he goes, I, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of people. They said that you're the guy for the job. Would you like to come to New York? Just look at the project. And if you don't know, no strings attached, you don't have to sign a contract. Just want you to get your opinion. I get to this round table in New York City and it's Spencer, Spencer Fujimoko is a pro skater at the time, a big time skater. And then Brian Aguchi for snowboarding. And the guys from Supreme, Pookie from Supreme was the, the retail guy that came in. <clears throat> we all sat in this little room with, it was a, Puma and Adidas, I think, were the two designers. And they had these moon boots on these pictures. I mean, they look like moon boots. I just said it. I mean, they were freaking the They were so horrible. They were huge and they were so bad. Look at moon boots. And we're sitting and right behind us is this older, not older. He's only 40 or something at the time. And a flannel shirt, kind of scraggly hair. And he was in the back. So I didn't really pay too much attention to him because there were designers up here talking and stuff. And it was us four, the four athletes that they have. Three athletes and one guy. So we're sitting there looking at it and we're being assholes. We're like, this is horrible. I'd never wear this shit. This is crazy. But being and totally honest. Like being honest. Wanted. Beyond honest. Walks up. At the end of the meeting, this guy in the final comes over and he goes, hey, I just want to tell you guys, I'm so grateful for you to come here. And... uh and right then I look at Spencer, the skater kid, because he didn't know who Jake was either. And he goes, <laughs> I look at Spencer and I go, we are such pieces of shit. I think this is John Carpenter. And, uh, and I still didn't know that it was the guy Jake Burton. I didn't know it was a human at the time, which is crazy because come to find out the whole story that I know better than anybody now. He, he <laughs> came over and he goes, you guys, I'm so grateful for all your insight and me and Spencer said, hey, I am so embarrassed and so sorry. And he goes, no, no, no. That's exactly what I needed to hear. And he goes, you guys don't have to sign contracts, none of that stuff. And so that meeting ends and we end up going outside. We roll a doobie. We're all hanging out. We're all smoking. We're all kind of getting to know each other. And I was like, wow, this is this the guy that owns the company? And then Pookie goes, dude, you have no idea. This is the this is Jake Burton. He owns the fucking thing. He started snowboarding. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, oh God, I'm such a kook. And so I leave that trip, still signed with Reebok, and I get back in Surfer Magazine. It was back in the day where you'd go to Surfer like once a week to check in and look at photos and just kind of be a part of it. And I go in there and the editor and the and the other kid that worked there, I go, hey, did you ever go to that New York thing? And I go, yeah, I did. And they're like, he, Jake Burton called us. And he, and I come to find out, he called 
so many people on my behalf to find out about me randomly. And that it, it's still humbling to this day because I believe it's bigger than life because my life that became all about Jake and his family and being part of his whole existence. I wrote for all of his companies, Anon, Analog, Gravis, Channel Islands, everybody. It became my life. Started because he researched me for the surfer role for his company. And I did a hundred roundtables. I stayed with his companies for, I want to say 18 years. But during all that, we became like literally the only person in my life that could understand me without me making a noise out of my mouth. Like I would look at him, you know, like, and we just were so two peas. Like he was the one that got me the most. So we became tight as thieves, <laughs> ended up, he canceled all his companies that I wrote for. And I decided to retire because I didn't want to go to another company. I didn't want to try to keep being a pro server. I ended up stopping that. And for the last, that's been seven years, last seven years, all I've done is travel with him, snowboarding and surfing and hanging out and becoming close as hell. And to I'm at his funeral the other day and, I have Sean White, Mark McMorris, and Terry Hawkinson. All these guys were all having drinks, and it's at his funeral. And I go, you know what's funny? I go, all of us have done some rad shit in our life. I'm like, you know, especially a couple of you guys have done some really amazing things. I go, but no, none of us have anything to really hold a candle to Jake's legacy. I go, there's going to be people in 200 years going down some crazy fucking ice glacier thing in Haiti or wherever the fuck. And they're going like to be writing Jake. They're going to be writing Jake Burns' board, knowing the story that this asshole from Long Island started. His, his legacy is going to go on forever, and it, I, I can't even turn my head one way or the other without seeing something that everything is about Jake in my life because that's that to me has been the most important figure in my life, and it was I was handpicked to be in his life, which means so much to me. So our little life together. It's changed everything for me, and now I'm going somewhere with his family for Christmas, and they're everything to me. They're, it's like my family was always amazing. My mom's always been there, but he showed me how to become a man and how to be honest with myself and not to be scared to be my. I mean, honestly, that video, the footage of me and the momentum generation comes from a lot of therapy with Jake, like him telling me when I was being feeling sorry for myself and him saying, Nobody cares, no one cares about your surf career or any of that shit he's like show me something today you know he was hard love and it, i needed that i didn't have enough dad to do any of that stuff so he was and that's why he was the greatest man i've ever known is he legitimately woke up every day going i gotta prove to the world that this is what's happening and he was always on the go always trying to achieve something always trying to be greater than the day before he's he's kelly but on 10 times the level. <laughs> That's how great Jake was. Wow, you're blessed to have some really too special people. Too many fucking, too many good people in my life. I'm so grateful for it. Tell you what. Well, I'll tell you what. I feel blessed to be one of them, man. And I you just are want, one. I want to say thank you for sitting down. Love you, Jay. Cheers, man. Love you too. Okay. Yeah, peace out. This episode of The Plug was produced by Bucci with audio engineering and original music by Peter Buckingham. Thanks for listening, and a huge thanks to today's guests for dropping in. If you like this episode, hit subscribe and be sure to tune in for future conversations.